Welcome to the Liberty Block Live. I'm Elliot Axelman. Remember to find us on libertyblock.com, facebook.com slash the Liberty Block, and the Patreon link will post below so that you can donate. All donations will go to our great sound AV engineer, Michael Sanello, so we can keep the production quality fantastic. We have with us a great guest today, Shaletta Jarvis in the Axel studio, libertarian candidate for governor of New Hampshire in the primary, which will be next Tuesday on September 11th. You also have a great co-host, a lovely Kate Bellani here with us. Hey there. Filling in for Ryan today. <laughs> so, Yoletta Jarvis, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, could you just tell us some, a little about your background and about your history? I understand you've had a lot of jobs. <laughs> no, actually not a lot of jobs, but I've worked in a couple different industries. I've worked in uh, the environmental field, educational field, um, the healthcare uh, mostly insurance field and in the financial field. What did you do in as an environmental person? What did you do in the environmental field? I actually worked for the Massachusetts Audubon Society. I used to train their naturalists uh, who educated children during the summer. Excellent, excellent. And how long would you say you've been a libertarian, a small L ideologically? And then when did you join the, the Libertarian, the libertarian party. party? I've actually been a libertarian my whole life. Um, I had uh, two wonderful parents who taught me that uh, we all have to take responsibility for ourselves and that every thing that you do, every choice that you make has a consequence that comes with it. Sometimes the consequence is a good one mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not a good one. So we have to be ready to accept the consequences and we should think them out before we make our choices. Uh, I actually joined the party um, I don't remember when I joined the national party. It was a while ago. I, um, the New Hampshire party, yeah. the New Hampshire party. I officially joined in 2015, um, or 2016, uh, I think 2015. And, um, the national party, I joined a while before that and then rejoined, um, in 2016. And how long have you been in New Hampshire for? I've been here since I was six years old. Excellent. So, wow, so you all that I remember. <laughs> actually a New Hampshireite. I am a New Hampshireite. All right. So what is the best thing about New Hampshire and how can we keep it good? You know, I really think it's the people here. We are a very independent, strong-willed, hardworking group of people who are very into being left alone to do our thing, but are very quick to reach out and help other people when you find out that somebody needs help. So I think that giving that community aspect to people it, in most of the towns in this state, you have people banding together to create food pantries voluntarily, yeah. voluntarily. Yeah. They just Amazing. get together and Hey, come on out. We, I mean, we have uh, in my town, someone purchased one of those, um, prefab sheds that you can get at yep. Home Depot or Lowe's or any of those places. And they put it out on the edge of the church parking lot. Um, and people just go in and that's where we store the food for the food pantry. Food. And they also put in clothing donations, things Look. like that. So people can wow. help others without government forcing them to is what you're Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. Oh, wow. I know it's crazy. Shocking it's news. unheard of, <laughs> but cool. you know, I grew up here and mm. we would, go down the street to uh, our neighbor's house and help them pick fruit from their trees. They had big farms, but 
they were getting older. So, and in return, they would let us take home a bushel of peaches and a bushel of apples, and we would turn them into pies and cakes and whatever. Wow. And uh, so, I mean, you just... The sense of community is strong. Yeah. 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 And on the flip side, what would you say is the biggest challenge, the worst thing, the biggest issue facing New Hampshire right now? Um, I I think that the worst thing facing New Hampshire right now is that it is... I'm not sure how this is happening and I won't don't want to blame anyone for it happening. So I'm going to keep my personal thought on how, why it's happening is that more and more people think that in order to survive, we are going to need to raise taxes and we are going to need well, for the children. You see, it is <laughs> I'm passionate about this. You see, it is definitely for the children. No, um, it, they, it seemed to, I've had many people ask me, wouldn't you rather see an income tax happen in New Hampshire? No, no, I wouldn't, because that just gives one more avenue for the government to take your money. And the second we open up that avenue, don't think that the other avenues will close. Mm-hmm. They're not going to shrink. Like for some reason, people think that if we institute a sales tax or we institute an income tax, that we property will taxes will go lower down. our property tax as mm-hmm. a result. But it's that's, not going to happen. That's not how it works. Taxes only go in one direction. Works that way. Yeah, taxes only go up. They only go up. They've. I've never seen any state that institutes an additional tax and have all the other taxes go down. So going off of, of the government programs and the taxes and spending, I'm assuming you're pretty familiar with the whole House Bill 628, the FMLI program. The The whole issue last year, FMLI, the family medical insurance, and that actually passed the House three times, and it it failed in the Senate by a margin of just four, I believe. So what are your whole thoughts on a a family medical insurance program? And just for the viewers, there was a program last year introduced by by a bunch of sponsors, and it was pretty bipartisan. It passed the House three times, so every time it went through committee, it passed the full House vote um, by by a pretty big margin, and then failed in the Senate only by four votes, only because Sununu put his, you know, put his uh, word in there and told the Senate to kill it as is. It was a program that would have created an increased payroll tax, which is the same thing as an income tax, only worse. It's invisible. And in order to fund a an insurance program run by the state that would have paid people to stay home in the event that someone in their family had a, a birth or a death or, or sickness or injury. What, what are your overall thoughts on a program like that? There are five other states Mm-hmm. that had created a program just like this, except for that they did not have a voluntary aspect to it like what we were going to propose. Not a single one of them are solvent in the program yet. And those were mandatory pay-in programs. Oh, wow. So if every single person is forced to pay into this program and it still can't pay for itself, how is a voluntary program going to do Where people it? can opt out of the of the increased tax for the program. So if you were able to opt out of it, that means that if you are financially stable to the point where even if you didn't one of you didn't have a job, the other one could easily pay all the bills, you wouldn't have a problem. You're probably not going to opt in. You're going to opt out. The only people who are going to opt in and stay in are the people who are one, expecting a problem, or two, are low enough income that they are afraid of what could happen if they lost time or money in their job. And those people aren't paid enough to pay for the program. 
So the only way to make it work is they get it in the door, they pass it, and then now that they've got people depending on it, the only way to make it solvent is to then make it mandatory. Or increase the So now you get it. Or make people either, pay more for what they yeah, are paying. Mm -hmm. You either make it mandatory for everyone to pay in. And then so far in Washington state has tried for five years to make their program solvent and they haven't yet. And that's on a mandatory program. So if, if they couldn't make it work in five years, how are we going to do it in a voluntary program? In fact, House Bill 628 was actually written in a way that actually made it even even more of a pure welfare program. It it was created in a way that the payout that you got from from the insurance program, if you had to use it, was actually, I think, capped at 66% of the median income. Yep. Meaning if you make a lot of money, you you benefit less from the program. And if you make very little money, you have more to gain. So those who actually made a lot of money and, and the pay into the program was by percentage of your income. It was 0.67% of your income by a payroll tax. And so it was it was really a welfare program. And you as an employee could opt out, but your employer cannot. So they're still responsible to pay they're that money, They're still responsible right? for it, yeah. yeah. And it's a payroll tax, yeah. Yeah, and it's a payroll tax. So you wouldn't support that program? No, I would not. Yep, very interesting. And going off that from, from more broadly all of welfare, what are your... your Quick overall thoughts on on Medicaid or uh, food stamps, HUDWIC, everything else, even though HUD is federal. Do you support welfare? Well, okay, so let me tell you, there's this fabulous program. Um, there, it's called We Do Better. Uh, it's a group of people that have organized a program. Uh, they, several different states are now using it. It started in Arizona, it's been working in California, and what they do is that these people in these states have to pay tax, right? They pay income tax, but I'm working with them to see how we can make it work with property tax, okay? And business taxes. And you choose where your tax money goes. So I, I want to donate money to people who are lower income for healthcare or I want to donate to homeless people, or I want to donate for education, or I want to donate for whatever social program, as long as it is a New Hampshire, that the benefit beneficiaries of it are in New Hampshire. You said there's, there are states actually doing this, the there government allowing this. There are states actually really. doing it. And the Arizona, when they first started, they had about 1,900 people use it the first year. They, they donated money, they get a tax incentive back. So they get their money back. Okay, so it's their a tax credit, yeah. Makes so sense. it's a tax credit. So it's a, a charity tax incentive program. So you donate money, you turn in your slip, the prove that you donated money, you get it back. Hmm. So they had about 1,900 people using it the first year in Arizona, because that was the first state where they used it. And now they have over 200,000 people using it. It's taken off and it saves the state money because these are social programs they no longer have to pay for. They don't have to pay the administrative costs on it. So even though they're not getting the tax money in that, that to, like to, pay, if, for to, to pay for the program, they're also not having to pay for the administrative fees. And we have a tax incentive program in New Hampshire already. So we already have the about, system yeah. set up to do this. We're just not using it that way. So we already have the infrastructure here. So we could make it work. So I'm working on a proposal with the uh, people who run We Do Better. They're a nonpartisan uh, 
charity organization that's sole goal is to help people focus on voluntarism. And another another benefit of that, I think maybe even the biggest benefit of, of that whole amazing program of, of We Do Better is you get happy taxpayers, right? You do, and because you, you I hear get to about, choose. Yep, so people, they don't want to fund, they don't want to pay for the things, the horrible programs they don't believe in. That's right. So all those people who say, well, I don't want my money to go to Planned Parenthood. Well, you do. Well, I'm not saying you do, but you know. Put it towards the military. Yeah. You, and, and others instead, can put it towards there. Yep. It, it, we could make it go federal, in which case, yeah, you could decide, well, I want to dedicate this money to the military because national defense is very important to me. I want all this money to go to the military. So your income taxes go towards military spending, but I don't want my money to go towards military. I want it to go towards education. So I want to make sure that everybody's children can get a good education. So I want mine dedicated purely to education or, you know, you want yours to go purely towards making sure that people who get mental health uh, mm -hmm. accessibility. So, you know, we, we can make sure, and we can divide it up. We could say, I want a little bit to go to education and I want to spend a little bit of my money on mental health care and I want to spend a little bit of my money you know, wherever, as long as it's an approved charity. So I can't just say, well, my cousin, Joe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned paying for education. What would your policy be should you win the governor's race on education as far as government involvement as far as esas getting back money if you don't use the public school system so right now well there was a bill that went in last year on school choice mm -hmm. and it started out as a very interesting bill that i was i went in to listen to the testimony for and i have to tell you the one thing that really bothered me when i was in there were all of the superintendents who went to this hearing and said, if you allow school choice, we're going to lose all of our students. Hmm. And that really bothered me because they were obviously admitting our school sucks. Can't, it can't they compete do. in a fair market. I, my, my school cannot compete in the market as it exists today because we don't have good enough programs. And every single superintendent came forward and said that they would lose students. What should have happened was all of these superintendents should have come forward and said, so what happens when everyone in the state wants to come to my school? How am I supposed to say we only have enough room for this many students? That That's a problem the they'll question. never have because they're, they're not that good of a school. Yeah. So Government-run schools. So right now, we're supposedly what, I think, somewhere between third and fifth in the state, depending on which survey, which poll you look at, third and fifth in the country, uh, top education. Okay. However, if you look at what our reading comprehension is and what our math comprehension is, reading comprehension is somewhere around 47% for graduating from high school and 37% wow. math comprehension. And that's up at the top, there is no. I was going to say in New York, it was it was I think ten or twenty percent after yeah, high school could read actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's wow, pretty that's staggering numbers. Yes. Now I'm an adult teacher. I I, you know, in the year two thousand, I got my certificate in teaching adults to um, in the business world. And when you go through the American Society of Training and Development, they tell you you cannot write a single training program over the eighth 
grade reading level. Oh my, oh my God. Because yeah. no one that you teach will be able to understand you except for a very small percentage. And this was college, that, correct? That is so this, sad. No, this is after college. This is adults. These are people who have graduated. So, and this was at a healthcare company. So most of the people who work there had to have a bachelor's degree to get in the door. So you're saying and having a bachelor's degree doesn't mean that someone can speak English properly? They obviously, you, you, getting a college degree does not mean that you can speak or you can read at a, or understand what you're mm -hmm. reading at above an eighth grade. Oh, reading I, I have some horror stories for you. Uh, as far I as actually, I actually have adults. a good one on this. Yeah. Uh, uh, medicine prescription bottles. You know how they have instructions on the bottle now? Oh yeah. Yes. They're tailored to a second grade reading level of course, because it, that's what the general populace reads at. That of course. So yeah. Yeah. I, so many adults I've met who, who, you know, after grad school or well, if you've read school, Facebook, read that's how they mostly write. So. At least anybody who wants to yell yeah. at you. <laughs> I was, um, Gelada, just correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think um, New Hampshire doesn't have vouchers for. No, we no vouchers, don't no have ESAs. vouchers. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. We don't have to have vouchers. All we really need is a true list of how many students you have in your school. Okay. And that, and since we should be paying based on how many students you have, that should be how much money you're ending up getting. What, now, this is different. I was going to say for school districts. Okay. Now, the problem is, is that right now, a school district can send, and this is how it works because I had, I had two stepchildren who are now adults. But if anybody, I won't say my school district. My children went to public school. And I'm sorry to hear that. We, <laughs> they were sent home one day very close to the March elections, and they were told by every single one of their teachers Don't say in it. high school to tell their parents that if they did not vote for the increase in the budget, that they were going to lose all their extracurricular activities and none of them would be able to go to college. What do you think about that, Kate? I think that's really messed up and they brainwashing. They came home in tears. In tears, petrified, they wouldn't make it into college. Well, because it also defies it. all of the statistics on the matter that when you reduce funding for a public school, the educational outcomes are unchanged. That there's been you know, studies since 1966 on this, and they've all concluded. Government the same schooling thing. is so it really and, is so pathetic. Well, if so you look at the school ratings for New Hampshire alone. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the property taxes that are that are paying the per student rate in each school district. The highest per student rate is a school in Wolfboro. They are getting about forty thousand dollars per student. So tuition, the spending is, is forty thousand a year per student. And then the one of the least expensive student ratios there is in Nashua. Guess which one made it on to the very top of the list of best schools in New Hampshire? I'm assuming Nashua. The one in Nashua that, Nashua that gets $12,000 per student, which is less than the state average. The one in Wolfboro, and again, I'm not naming specific schools. These are all public knowledge. You can look them up. Um, the one in Wolfboro didn't even get an honorable mention. So money... Yeah does not equal 
educational At least success. the government spends it, yeah. If, it just doesn't. So so in your ideal world as governor or if you were, were a dictator or queen of New Hampshire, in your ideal role, what, <laughs> what would government – If I just to wave my magic yeah, wand what, what would government play in education? Uh, first of all, I think that it should be a facilitator. Not a dictator. <laughs> I think that government should facilitate the conversation between parents, communities, and schools. That uh, What I'd like to have happen is have a commission of all of those types of people that need to be involved. Homeschool parents, because they're normally left out of the mix. Charter school, public school. For now, leave private school out. Let's start with the, the basics. Okay. Um, so you're you've been dictator for a minute now, and public schools still exist. Government schooling, and okay. Because right now we have a lot of low income people that depend. No, it on takes it. more than a minute to pass you know? a bill. I know. You know <laughs> so we we have to we have to start slow here. So we we bring these people into the mix and say, okay, how much does it really cost to educate a child? Okay. And we have to take into account what is really needed to educate a child. For example, in this country, there are four states where when you graduate from high school, a public high school in the state, you are qualified with just your general diploma, not your college preparatory or your honors school uh, courses. Your general diploma, when you graduate, you are qualified to go to an in-state college, four states, and New Hampshire is not one of them. Qualified in what sense? meaning that you meet all the qualifications to attend your in-state college. You're, um, you'll be able to get the SAT scores. You'll have the grades point mm -hmm. average. You'll have the, Just by virtue um, you'll of graduating have the high courses school. that you needed to study to get into those, uh, into your in-state schools. What's the alternative? How did the other 46 states work? The other 46 states? Most you of them. High school. You finish high school. And you can't go to college for what reason? You uh, you have to take what are called um, the their special courses that now the colleges are offering to help bring you up to college level, and they're some called, kind of remedial, remedial uh, yeah, they're the remedial um, courses. So in math and science and languages and uh, English comprehension, those are the four that they need. That they're finding that their students are not prepared and they cannot pass your basic knowledge skill to get into the college. So they now are putting out these remedial courses that when you go in, you have to take these courses first in order to take the other courses. Very interesting. So we need to look at those. So we need to have colleges come into this commission and say, this is what it takes to get into college. This is this is what you should, what knowledge you should have. It should be public information. It should be public information. Yeah. yeah. You, should, you should be able to say, you know, 1,000 times two equals 2,000 by the time you graduate from high school. You should be able to do that. I'm sure that it's actually a little bit tougher than that, but you know what I mean? And so then we need to say, okay, so are we educating kids to get to that point? If not, why not? Okay. And how do we make it so that these kids can choose which school they go to? If you are a child or you have a child with special needs, there are several schools in this state that are really good for special mm -hmm. needs. Well, what if you're in a district that isn't? Shouldn't you be allowed to take your child out of this district without having to move and just drive him or her to that district that is better in it? And right now, how and difficult is it to get your, your child to a different school district? You school? have to move. Oh, oh wow. really? There's no other move. way. 
it also I think one of like the recent um big issues is like bullying for kids. Bullying so, is another issue. If you are be and, there was a heartbreaking story of a child on WMUR going to the school board, I think in the Timberlane School District. And sorry, I know I just mentioned a school name, but it was in the news. Um talking to the school board about her bullying experience. And I have gone out and spoken to many families throughout the state, and this is not an unusual story. And how the schools have been dealing with it hasn't always been good. But maybe if you took your child to a different district, they could get that fresh start. Maybe a school where they are willing to work with the parents. This competition Just creating between competition schools would, be incredible. would change the way education is run, would change how bullying is handled. It would ha change how special needs is handled. It would, it would change how all aspects of the school is handled. Now, if I was a dictator and I got to choose <laughs> how we deal with this, I would do probably the most unlibertarian thing possible. I would bring the basic funding for education to the state level. And I'll explain in a minute. But your basic, this is what you need to educate a child. That's pretty unlibertarian. It is very unlibertarian. <laughs> it is the most, it is the only unlibertarian really ideal I have, but I have gone through and I've talked to so many people and I've looked at everything. And by doing that, we make it a per student. So it doesn't matter where you are in the state. You can go to any school district that so you no want to go to. no more unhappy parents about living in a poorer school district. And then no Miami. more unhappy parents about living in a poorer district versus, you know, Wolfboro mm -hmm. versus Berlin. Berlin. Sorry. I just Berlin. Said. Yeah. Don't so, dare say Berlin. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I've been saying, I've been correcting people all week on that. Um, so it, it, there wouldn't be this disparity anymore. And then if a school then said, well, you know what? We want to upgrade our football field. Instead of drawing from that pool, they would then be allowed to go to the community and say, all right, so on your taxes this year, we would like to. This is mm -hmm. what it would take. This is how long it will take. Would you vote to give us the money to do this upgrade? And then it's up to the voters if they want to. But it's for that temporary, and they have a cap. You can't go over um, you know, 2% of what you get from the state. You can't ask for more than that because it's not fair to the voters. That actually makes sense. I, I came from I New York. I know it's a very unlibertarian yeah. thing, but in the end, it really is fair. Well, it makes sense that I'm not paying millions for some other yeah. school district. We I played on a football field. It was just redone a few years before I, I think I joined the varsity team. The field and the track around it and, and you know, the, the little pole vaulting thing and the little sand to jump into, <laughs> the whole track, that little field was uh, $3.3 .3 million, I believe. Yeah, well, I believe it was three million. My school district, they had a wonderful donor come in about eight to ten years ago, and donated a couple million dollars to build a performing arts building, a building mm -hmm. all by itself for the middle and high schools to use for this performing arts center. Isn't that how private schools and universities yes, usually work? That and, some and incredibly wealthy yeah. donor says, hey, I'm gonna give you $2 million to build a new field and put my name on the front. Exactly. So if you, as a public school administrator, want to see something like that, you can ask for 
up to 2% of what you're given from the voters for a period of time. And then you have this PTA for a reason. Their job, and I was a member of a PTA, so I know this, your job is to help fundraise for the school for all those extra things that you want mm -hmm. to be able to give, extra field trips, extra Yeah, or whatever. an alumni association. Well, maybe you could use that like an alumni association. Do fundraising, good old-fashioned go fundraising. Go do yeah. some fundraising. If, if, if parents in the community say, you know what, I have extra that I can donate, I will donate to that. You know, but all those people who are not parents or are parents who can't afford it, shouldn't be forced to give more money just because the school wants something. And they shouldn't be able to go home and tell my your parents, if you don't vote for this. That's disgusting. Yeah, it that's is disgusting. And it happens every single year. And it happens all around the state. And there are now several towns who are ready to sue the state again. The last time this happened with the Claremont decision in uh, 1997, it was the year I graduated from college. I'm old, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was deemed that how we're doing it now is unconstitutional and they were told to change it. Guess what? How we're funding school today is the same way we did when I was in high school. Like I Haven't said, there's no accountability. Anything. You can't force the government to regulate itself. So not gonna Supreme Court themselves. said, New Hampshire, fix it. We have not fixed it. We've donated money from richer towns to poorer towns, which is why we now have your local education tax plus your state education tax on your property taxes. Mm -hmm. I would propose just one, except for when the school has come and said, we're asking for this exact amount for this exact purpose, so you know exactly what that money is going to. And ultimately, on a state level, would your goal be eventually to get the government eventually out of the education we system and let people to, voluntarily do it? We would be able to say, okay, so now people want to do more homeschooling. We want to do more, you know, okay, well, let's let people just keep their money who are doing that. Why take it in if they're not even in the school system? Give that money back. You know, what? why do we need to keep charging people? And more and more people want to homeschool, especially mm -hmm. with all the gun violence that they see about people. I mean, though we've had none here, that doesn't mean people aren't choosing or bullying. They're choosing. And just think the, the sheer incompetence of the education. Just back from New York, especially, I saw some of the statistics. We did some shows in the radio station about the statistics for college readiness rates of those who finished high school or graduated high school in New York, ridiculously low, down under 50%, 20% for some ethnicities. Yeah, so we've, can't even got, read. we've found statistically that homeschool students, colleges are actually seeking out homeschool students because of the statistical anomaly of homeschool students do better. Their SAT scores are higher. They, and yet, we're saying that there was a bill that they tried to pass last year to start doing more mandatory testing of homeschool students and keep that they fall below a certain rate, they must go in. But the rate, uh, the percentage score that they had to get for homeschool students is actually higher than mm -hmm. what a public school student gets. Remember that 37% and and 49% in comprehension? Mm -hmm. Those are below what a homeschool student would have to see in order to stay homeschooled. 
but we're allowing our public schools to perform abysmally lower. But we got to be realistic with the expectations with schools run by government after all. So you mentioned the the safety in schools. And, and personally, I looked it up. I can't find a single incident of a school shooting in New Hampshire history. But there, there have been some high-profile shootings in schools around the country. Yep. What, if anything, has to be done, at least in New Hampshire, um, to improve it or to change school safety? Well, I think, first of all, this idea of making um, gun-free zones is a terrible idea. It's putting a big target on a school and saying, please come here. They're not protected. Unprotected zones. It sounds like open season. It is. It's an open season situation. If you have a beef against anybody, come on down. We got a Mm -hmm. whole bunch of innocent people who will make headlines for you. And I mean, there was one case where those three boys went and shot up their schoolmates just so that they could get in the news. So you, you don't want to advertise This is a gun-free zone. And any public office cannot be a gun-free zone. It cannot be. It's unconstitutional. Now, I'm not saying that we need to make it mandatory that teachers carry guns. That's also unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And New Hampshire Constitution specifically states that no person may be forced to carry a weapon. You cannot. You shouldn't force anyone to do anything. Well, you shouldn't force anyone to do anything, but it is specifically spelled out. Though, you cannot force though in anybody. some of the founding documents, I forget which one it was, Laser would know. One of the founding documents said, or at least one of the founders was quoted as saying, every able-bodied man has a responsibility, a duty, to always have a weapon and know how to use it. But it's not in the Constitution. Yeah. No, it was just, it was just yeah. a quote by one of the founders who, who, who wrote it. Yeah. So if a teacher wants to carry for the peace of mind of parents, we should have one of the drawers at that teacher's desk be a metal lock or they can drawer. have a holster. No? Well, we, they make we, holsters. Then they'll 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 point out the people at the state house who used holsters and had their guns draw uh, fall in the state house you last year. The F- and FBI agents were in the state house? <laughs> no, not that one. Hopefully no teachers are doing backflips no, and no. dance moves in the middle no, hol- of the class. Holster means it stays in there. If it fell out, it was a basket. Holsters mean the state's in there. Yeah, there's been a couple incidences in the state house here in New Hampshire. Yeah, I didn't um, know about that. And, and by yeah. the way, speaking about, about public schools, about the government schools doing disgusting, horrible, unethical things as far as convincing people or telling people how to vote, I don't know if, you're, if you know what happened. I wrote about it in the Exeter. So in the Exeter school districts in Exeter and some neighboring towns a few months ago, the school put on a pro-gun control rally. I think actually prior they participated in the walkout, the March for Life or something. Okay. I think they participated in that. And, you know, when the marches were happening a few months ago, I think the Concord principal admitted that he facilitated the students walking out mm-hmm. for gun control, which is pretty political for a government school. But anyway, a few months later, the Exeter, Exeter High School invited some other students from other high schools, and they had some middle schools in the area as well. They had a few students, and they held a panel of maybe four or five students and a few teachers. Uh, maybe Chris Pappas was there, a few Demo- elected Democrats, and they invited two uh, moderate Republican rep- representatives from the area of Exeter as well okay. to to a panel, some kind of, they called it a town hall panel on gun violence. It was like 10 people and like pro-gun control and two people who are Republicans who are pro-light gun control. And they just did a whole massive rally with the students in the auditorium, I believe, pro-gun control. And this was a school clearly indoctrinating the students to support gun control and vote for gun control. And I, I wrote up a few articles about the whole Exeter town hall meeting. They brought a doctor in there saying, well, was he a psychiatrist, I believe, 
saying, you know, I'm as as a doctor, psychiatrist, as a doctor, we see the AR-15 bullets, they shatter bones all the time. Like, come on. But it, it was disgusting, the coercion that was displayed. And I, and I saw the whole video. It was a long YouTube video of the town hall meeting. And you see these students, some high school kids, but also middle school kids. You see how brainwashed they were. You see how brainwashed they were to hate guns and be afraid of guns and support gun control. One of the girls said, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but, you know, we need more gun control. So that's another instance of, of government they, schools getting involved. They actually had, um, throughout the country, they had all those walkouts. The walkouts of schools. And there were cases, and these are not as big in the media as obviously the walkouts were, but they had cases of children who were being suspended for holding signs that said, right. guns don't kill people, people kill people, or refusing to, refusing to leave. Yep, yep. Who refusing, who went to study hall or went and sat in his classroom. And uh, that one boy who went and sat in classroom and said, I want to be taught. I'm here to learn. It's a school. And, <laughs> and But the principal said, no, we are. We are today's lesson this is, is, is how to like yeah. you know support gun control. So these were not everybody says these were children making a stand. No, these were children who were told if you don't do what you are told, you make sure that your parents know that you were misbehaving mm -hmm. because you will be going home suspended and that will go on your permanent record. They they were not instigating yeah. the situation. The teachers, the parents, um, the politicians in the area and their principal and school administrators were making a point. It was not the students making a point. There were a few students who were really excited about this and really gung ho about it. Mm -hmm. But for the majority, I mean, did you ever participate in a walkout when you were in high school? I did. Well, I didn't. I did. I, 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 I New York's laws can't get any. I tougher. actually went to Philippines for my high school. And so no, no walkouts. There. No walkouts but okay, so I graduated from Merrimack Valley High School in Penacook, New Hampshire. I walked out. Uh, you walked out. See, okay. So yeah, I went to school did. in Connecticut, they and I was walkouts. Found it boring. So oh, you found it boring. Any oh, excuse? You any excuse? Believe we, me, when you're 15. We had a group of us wanted to honor Civil Rights Day. We did not have the day off back then. It was not a school-wide holiday. It was, it was state holiday, but New Hampshire really didn't celebrate it. And we wanted Civil Rights Day to be celebrated. So we went out, there was about maybe 10 of us who really organized this. And we were told, if you go out and you mm -hmm. do this, you will be suspended. And we were like, Worth it. So we went out, we stood right in front of the school and we read Martin Luther King wow, Jr. speeches nice. to each other. But we had about half the school follow us, not because they cared, because they didn't want to be in class. Yeah. <laughs> half of them came out and said, so why are we out here again? <laughs> oh, they still listen to us do the speeches because, you know, but a lot of them just left the school grounds. They weren't there because they were part of what we were trying to do and we actually didn't get suspended because so many students yeah. walked out that there you go. we were saved because of the apathy of people not wanting to care um actually saved us but yeah we did it and you know it was south park it was had important. an episode about this did yeah. they yeah the, there was, was some walkout? big uh when 9 11 happened and there was the fight the the anti-war protests or whatever oh yeah the boys so yeah there was an and there was an episode where the boys were in class and the teacher said you know if you're against the war you can go outside and protest and leave class so the whole class went woo and left and uh 
and they had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. They were handed signs that said, you know, things that they couldn't read that mm -hmm. were easy. Bush is a Nazi, <laughs> whatever that is. And they made their, they made their teacher look like an idiot. It was hilarious. Well, that's unfortunately, that's what happened in a lot of these walkout cases yep. where they, some of them didn't know why they were walking out. And if you talk, if you, and they took those interviews right off the air, but you mm -hmm. can find them. Mm -hmm. And then other students that went out because they knew that if they, if they did, they got the rest of the day off. Mm -hmm. So on gun control more broadly, would you support a statewide registry like some people on the left want? Would you support mandating permits for, for uh, carrying firearms and all that? The only change I'd like to see when it comes to purchasing guns in the state of New Hampshire right now is that we need to make sure that it isn't taking five years to go through, and I'm exaggerating, five years to go through a background check when you need to go through when there are um, cases um, where people have told me that they went in, they put in their background information to buy their pistol, and a week went by. Now you well, have that's a federal, certain, right? The next step you, is federal. Yeah. So you have a certain time period where once you put in your application, you must purchase the weapon or you have to put in an application all mm -hmm. over again. So this person put in his application. It took so long that the time ran out. And it wasn't his fault. It was that they had to send it to the state police and the state police got confused because his name was very similar to somebody else's name oh, no. and they couldn't figure out which one was which. So they, you know, and so he, you would address the state police. I would address the fact that if you do not complete a background check in a timely fashion, then guess what? You end up having to pay for that mm -hmm. background check. Very interesting. Because How about I think that that's fair that if you mm -hmm. don't, because right now there is, there is actually a legal obligation. Mm -hmm. You have a certain period of time that you have to get that background check back to them. And if you don't fulfill that, then you're at fault, even though you're the police department. So, How about red flag laws? Would you support a bill if it came to your desk? Would you sign it or veto it? A red flag law bill? Uh, I was asked this question just on Wednesday, and I hate these. Um, these open up. Pandora's box so, to so many gun control. They they open up every police station to lawsuits. They open up your neighbors to lawsuits, and they open up the ability for me to tell you, I don't really like the way you keep your grass cut. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna. I think you're crazy. I'm gonna just file a little complaint that you've been acting really weird. And how many people are going to start complaining about their Muslim neighbors? I mean, we already have people who are terrified that every Muslim is a terrorist. So, or every person who is of foreign descent, by looking at you, you look like you must be a Mexican descent. Well, so you must be this... an illegal immigrant. So I'm going to report you. you. And there are people who will do it. So now you have innocent people being targeted. Without due process. For, without, without due, due process, process, they're having their possessions taken, their property taken. And there are only three things that I hold to be the responsibility of government. One is to protect your life. Two is to protect your property, and three is to protect your equal pursuit of happiness. Not guarantee it, but to pursue, pursue, pursue. it. 
And if you allow the police to come in without due process and take property from any citizen, you have violated one of those three things. And I believe in, I think in most red flag laws, the way these bills in various states are drawn up, I believe one of the the requirements for the police to confiscate it without due process or with a quick warrant, where they you know, get a quick warrant without due process from a judge, is that you have a history of some kind of mental disorder, right? Now, the issue is, technically speaking, if you look up, you know, the DSL, I'm sure you know this stuff quite well, technically, a mental disorder could include anxiety, OCD, depression, and, and uh, ADHD, right? Mm -hmm. You know how many people in America suffer from one of those, at least? Probably if, more than half. If you were pregnant ever, yeah. you might have had postpartum depression. It might be gone now, but you now have a history it's coded. It's in your code. of depression. Yep. And... And by allowing this to happen, and the other issue with that is, how does a police officer know that what your mental history is unless they're violating HIPAA guidelines? So we're asking a right. state to violate a federal law because we're giving them permission to look at your medical records. Any police officer can look at your medical records. That's I don't know why I didn't think unless they are involved in the care, they can't okay, so access that. Well, yes. well, the judge, you'll be the judge who gives the warrant, right? Mm -hmm. okay, so but even they shouldn't be looking at your HIPAA, your, your protected health. No, you have permission. to give permission. You have to give a signed permission for your medical records to be looked at by anyone, including a court. They can request a warrant for your medical mm -hmm. records, no, but that's a separate this. warrant. Okay. So you guys asked about some rates for OCD and ADHD. OCD is 2.3% of the population. Mm -hmm. ADHD is roughly 5%. So depression, anxiety, depression and anxiety. I'm, I'm not, I haven't gotten that today yet. Maybe another 10, 10%, 20%, 30%. And those are just the diagnosed ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we all know people with undiagnosed depression. ADHD. Mm -hmm. Well, anxiety. those people probably wouldn't have a record then, but <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Not yet. You know, once they go to their doctor mm -hmm. and they say the D word, they say they're depressed. They say they're mm -hmm. a bit sad. You know these questionnaires? What's going on with the questionnaires? I went to the doctor a few weeks ago when, when I first moved here to get a checkup. You know how many of these are uh, depression? The, the oh, they, yes, they have, they, they have to do a checklist. They have like five of them in your face when you walk in. What's going on with you that? You have to ha fill in these new... Um, Is this a federal this, thing? This depression issue, the questionnaire of five to ten questions that you have to ask, have you considered suicide in the last six months? Have you felt have you sad in the last Sad. Have you had any changes in your life? Have you, all these things I'm like. Have you breathed more than time, 12 times in a day? I have to tell you that I have to fill in one of those every single time mm -hmm. I go to the doctor's office, um, have for a couple of years now. And every time I go in, I, I always look at my doctor and says, is there anybody who can't check yes to at least one of these questions? And he says, I have to have you fill it in. I don't really care. He goes, if you're depressed, you're not feeling good, talk, talk to me about it. If there's Ang something on here you want to talk about, we'll talk about it. Otherwise, eh. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the U.S. 40 million. Age 40 million. 18 or on or older, or 18.1% of the population every year. So, And you know what else will trigger this is if you have a history if you have drugs in your system, right? So I was- Millions of more of Americans have taken drugs at a point. Yeah, so I'm gonna talk about this. This is a personal experience. And I talked about this on another show where Granite Hammer, you all remember when Granite Hammer went into effect a Nobody couple of years do. ago? 
So Granite Hammer was um, supported very, very strongly by Chris Anunu, um, who pushed it even further once he got into office. And what most people know about it is it's a program to get rid of drug dealers. We're going to give more money to police so that they can hire additional uh, workforce to be patrolling the streets, to um, put people in the labs, and uh, and and get more of these drugs taken off the streets. And we're going to put undercover people down in Massachusetts because you know that's where all the drugs are coming from. I can't remember what else he said. But what most people don't know is if you are on medication that happens to be an opioid, you are now subjected to the law. So I went in and um, I have uh, a disability. I had um, an illness or condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Oh, wow. You did. Wow. Um, okay. So you guys know what it is. For those of you who don't, it's where your immune system attacks your nervous system and shuts it down. So I spent about six weeks in the hospital so that they could make sure I didn't die because your nervous system makes your heart pump and your, your lungs, lungs, lungs move lungs and all that stuff. Um, and I couldn't walk and I couldn't move my hands. I couldn't wow. use my feet. I ended up with uh, permanent nerve damage in my hands and feet, um, which causes chronic pain. And so my rheumatologist wanted to prescribe a painkiller. And I said, well, I don't want anything that could be addictive. I don't want a narcotic. Mm -hmm. I don't want an opioid. I want nothing like that. So if you can't give me something like that, don't bother. I'll just deal with it. it it's, you know. Um, so he said, well, okay, no, I've got a medication I can give to you. You'll be all set. I said, okay. He goes, you just have to come back in four months. No, three months to do a med check. Okay. Two weeks before... Um, Two weeks before my med check, he said, now, just to let you know, and for this med check, you, you have to go and do a urine test. I'm like, okay, well, I've never had my medication levels checked that way. This is new, but okay. I don't really take a maintenance drug ever before, so yeah. sure. So we, I went in, I took it. I came into the office two weeks later, and he says, you have tested positive for cannabis. And I went, no. No, I didn't. <laughs> and he goes, you have. I said, no, no, I didn't. He says, no, yes, you have. I have your results from your lab test. I said, well, you're looking at somebody else's lab test because I'm not doing cannabis. So it, it's wrong. He goes, are you saying that this is a false positive? I said, well, yes, I'm saying that's like a false that, positive. Like you feel next check, the back and he said, well, we have a problem because you can't take this medication anymore. And I went, why can't, wait a minute. First of all, why are you testing me for drugs? And two, why can't I continue taking this medication just because you got some weird weird false positive thing here? Mm -hmm. And he says, well, I can have you retake the test. We get false positives a lot. A lot. A lot. That's what he said. Didn't tell me a percentage, just a lot. And I said, he goes, but it's part of Grand Hammer. I went, Granite hammer, that's for druggies. Why am I having to take it for a nerve condition medication? He goes, because you're taking an opiate. What? Why am I, what, what, what opiate? I'm not taking any opiates. He goes, yes, you are. That tramadol I gave you is an opiate. Technically, I think it's an opiate. I went, you have got to be kidding me. That was I the one told he you was not an opioid. He, yeah, I said, I do not want, I told you, I do mm -hmm. not want to take a narcotic. I do not want to take an opiate. I want nothing that could possibly be addictive because I don't want that in my mm -hmm. system. I've never been addicted to anything, but 
I don't think I want to start in my 40s yeah, don't. becoming addicted to something. It's just not really worth it. I have kids. And he said, oh, yeah, that's right. It's just this is the one we always prescribe. Yep. And it just like that, that, just like that, it's normal. on your record. One, I received a false positive that happens a lot with cannabis. Really? It happens a lot that people who don't take it get tested positive for it? I mean, I understand with, um, you know, poppy seeds, but that's not cannabis. So I, I'm like, what, what other food do you eat that comes back testing positive for cannabis? So, okay. But I was so mad about being told that I had mm -hmm. been given an opiate against my expressed wishes that I completely forgot about the fact that I had tested positive and uh, didn't retake the test. So that's probably going to go against me someday because that's probably on my permanent record now. Marijuana is, is actually explicitly written on the next check, I believe. So you, you couldn't get a firearm if you wanted to without lying. So you, you have to lie on the form. And you well, the I can you go to jail. I can say I didn't take cannabis and be not lying, but I can't say that I haven't tested positive yeah. for cannabis. Yeah. So st staying on on the topic of opioids and all drugs, the opioid issue, of course, is a, a massive hot button issue to a lot of people in New Hampshire. Do you have any ideas to somehow decrease the number of deaths and and addictions and injuries from opioids in New Hampshire? The first thing to do is to legalize cannabis uh, for recreational use for medical use. There shouldn't be any difference. They, um, the only reason that was Aaron's should, day's response as well, right okay. away. There's the only reason you should need a medical prescription to get it is if you're a child, you know, those children who have, um, epilepsy mm -hmm. and they need a special, um, the, the oil is that the, that, that you should need the prescription for so you could get it for a child. But if you're over 21, there should be nothing, no law stopping you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, that has been proven, proven beyond a shadow of a doubt to bring down opiate addiction levels. The Canna Institute in Massachusetts did several studies on people who were addicted to heroin and other opiates, and they found that people who used cannabis to withdraw with suffered less side effects mm -hmm. than people who used the other medications, pharmaceutical medications. And so they were able to be more successful in staying off it once they got off because they didn't go through all the pain that stops a lot of people from continuing with withdrawing. Um, and there's so many medical side effects, such as if you... Um, I, I don't remember what the dosage is or how often, but if you take it before you have Alzheimer's, it can prevent Alzheimer's in people who have a history, a family history of Alzheimer's. It helps people with um, seizures. It helps people with pain. It helps people with fibromyalgia. It helps people with nerve conditions. It helps people with uh, so many different conditions. Um, I, I couldn't possibly list them all. I've been working with one of the activists in New Hampshire who's helping actually on the commission to create the legalization bill mm -hmm. to um, to get all the facts so I can make sure that I have all the yeah. knowledge. And I'm also, I would love to see combined with a cannabis legalization to legalize hemp because of the environmental benefits that hemp has, um, not just in uh, what 
hemp can be used to create, such as uh, your insulation and Seemingly wooden everything. planks <laughs> that um, that are resistant to mold, to mildew, to fire, to termites. Don't we have all of those here in New Hampshire? So you use that to build your house. Your house is suddenly more sustainable. You grow it. You can harvest it four times in one season. It grows right back, back to full strength. You don't have to wait 20 years before the tree is tall enough. Are you saying Are you saying it grows like a weed? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're That's a father, a aren't you? <laughs> there ought to be a law against that. That was a dad joke if I've never heard one. <laughs> and I believe alcohol is a bit, is more addictive than, I'm sorry, um, more people die of heart attacks and um, alcoholism than actual um, opioids. Yeah, in 2016, um, I have statistics here. In 2016, for example, the, the only year I, I have numbers for, I think 500 people died of opioids in New Hampshire. And over 2,500 died of well, cancer I, and heart disease each. I received that list every month. I think it was 497, so very close to 500. Um, and I believe that was with cocaine mixed in. I think there was like Interesting. two. Uh, so I suppose that the question is, would you support legalization of some sort to to try to decrease the amount of, of deaths and, and uh, the health issues of opioids, but also of the bigger killers, five times bigger, of heart disease and cancer in New Hampshire? Would I support with legalization, legislation of what to reduce those? Would you support okay. legislation to try to decrease heart disease, for example? If you ban all soda and sugar and carbs, you will decrease heart disease and you know death from heart disease in New Hampshire, which is almost six times as many as opioids. Would, would you support I legalization support... banning you know, unhealthy foods? No. No? No, because I can't say that I would support you making a choice whether or not you're going to smoke something and then tell you, but you can't have the choice of having sugar in your drink or having too much carbs. Or if, if, if I want you to treat me like an adult that can make my own decisions, I kind of have to treat you the same way. Mm -hmm. And government should not be making decisions for you. Would you go so far as to say you wouldn't even ban plastic straws? I would <laughs> not ban, ban plastic straws. You should make that decision whether or not you have a plastic straw. I do right here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Not you, should, you should throw it in, throw it away mm -hmm. properly. You shouldn't throw it on the ground, which is the problem they were having in that town in California. They were picking up too many straws on the ground, which is why they decided they'll just ban mm -hmm. them because picking them up was difficult. And, and about food, about heart disease, you know, I, I joke, but. Heart disease kills, I think, six times as many oh, yeah. people as the opioids do in New Hampshire. And opioids, again, I, I see some of it. It is a massive issue, and it, it's horrible and heartbreaking, and people get addicted by 20, 30 years old. I've had patients who are 30 yeah. who are going to be dead within a year from the, the opioid issues. So much IV drug abuse, they have endocarditis and their heart, heart failure. But there there are actually legislators who want to be the, the mommy and daddy and hold their hand and not let us drink soda or have cheeseburgers or have sugar I've or carbs. That. There was a bill introduced by four representatives, four co-sponsors on a bill last year, and it failed, but there was a bill that would have made it illegal for fast food employees to offer soda with kids' meals. Yes, I remember that, and there has also been legislation that they tried to pass, um, I don't remember when, about the size of your cup, mm -hmm. that if you were getting soda, you can't have cups. Bloomberg passed it in New York City, but it was struck down by a state court. Yeah. Yep. Right. So since we're coming to an end, we just want to ask one last question. Um, so why should New Hampshire Libertarians vote for you in the primary next Tuesday? Well, I present a compassionate face 
of the Libertarian Party. Most people don't think of the Libertarian Party as compassionate. They think we hate children and the old and the sick. and the They do babies. think that we hate children. I love my children. Um, actually, I've stood up for uh, DCYF uh, reform mm -hmm. to fix problems that have been hurting our children. Um, I am an avid volunteer. I won the 20 uh, Most Outstanding Women of New Hampshire Award wow. this year for my community activism. Uh, I um, so I definitely have that compassion. I am definitely community oriented. I am about the people here first. I have been in New Hampshire for a long time, so I remember what it used to be like mm -hmm. and what it's changed into. I want to support small businesses. I want to support your right to keep more of your money in your pocket. And I want to support your right to choose where you educate your children. Um, and I am one of the regular people. I am not a career politician. I have been middle, what do you call it, middle income for uh, my whole life. Uh, and you know, my children go to public school, so I understand what you're all going through when you have to send your kids there as well. Uh, the fears that you go through, the, suffer with all the of people. it. I, I suffer with you every time the gas tax is raised, every time they want to raise the tolls, all of it. So I am one of the regular everyday people. I understand what we all have to go through. Where can people find out more about your platform, more about you? Um, you can go to my website, which is Gilletta Jarvis, the number four NH.com. And Gilletta is spelled with two L's and two T's. I'm going to ask. <laughs> and on social media, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at Jarvis4Gov. Again, the number four. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us on Liberty Block Thank Live. You. Remember to Thank you. find us on libertyblock.com, facebook.com slash the Liberty Block. And the Patreon link we will put below. I don't know the URL offhand. But remember, this is the last time we're going to have Michael with us, the AV engineer. If you want to keep the quality as good as it is, please do try to get on that Patreon link if you feel so inclined. We appreciate anything you could give. And we'll post the links to her info as, as well on the libertyblock.com. And remember to vote in the Libertarian primary you know, September 11th. It's this Tuesday. It's Tuesday, 7 to 7. Excellent. Go out there, ask for a Libertarian ballot, vote in the Libertarian primary. Thank you very much, and have a good night. Every Thursday evening, 7 p.m., the Liberty Block Live right here on Facebook. Thank you very much, and have a good night. Have a good night.